Easter, we began talking about what it means to be a disciple. Along the lines of this premise that most things in life require us to follow well, to flourish. Have you noticed that? That doing your own thing, going your own way, being a rebel, a maverick, you know, whatever you want to be, it sounds great in the moment until you realize that nobody else likes that, especially the people trying to lead you. You know, and, and so most things in life require us to follow well if we're going to flourish. That's true not just in childhood games like we talked about last week, Simon says, and, and red light, green light, but that's true as kids with our parents or our guardians. It's true as we become adults. It's true as, as employees with our bosses. It's true as citizens and community that really everywhere in life you might be a leader, but somewhere you need to follow well if you're going to flourish. And the same is true with God. Now here's the good news, Jesus wants you to follow him. Jesus has invited you to follow him. He's invited you to be his disciple or what might seem more culturally relevant to us today, he's invited you to be his apprentice. Now think about that for a moment. Think about what it means to be an apprentice. Some of you, you're in jobs today where you were apprenticed. Many of us have been apprenticed, whether we realize it or not, in different skills or tasks. Apprenticeship is really about following someone else until you can do what they do, right? You follow them, you study their ways, you, you learn how they do it, they explain it to you, they show it to you, they do it in front of you, and then they ask you to do it while they watch before you get to do it on your own. And Jesus has invited you to an apprenticeship. In fact, he came on the scene saying, hey, uh, there's a new kingdom in town. Remember, this sounds familiar. There's a new kingdom in town. I'm the king. And by the way, I have apprentices, apprenticeships available. Does anybody want to be an apprentice to the king of the new kingdom? And some people are like, ah, I don't know, I'm not an early adopter, let's see how this works out. Some people are like, I'll take anything new, the old was bad, please let me be your apprentice. And others of us along the way, we realize, what I was doing on my own isn't working out, maybe I'll try the Jesus thing. And I don't know where you're at today, but what I do know is that Jesus has invited you to follow him. Jesus has asked you to say, hey, you've got a place with me, I have an apprenticeship available to you. And what we often don't realize is what a significant opportunity that is. We kind of look at the invitation to follow Jesus as one among many options for our lives, and that is a big mistake. It is a big mistake because Jesus came and lived a life so that you could follow his example. He died on the cross so that you could leave behind all the wrong things behind you and actually follow him into a new life. And he rose from the dead to say, hey, I can lead you and you can do this too. You can do this too. Jesus did all those things not because you followed him. Remember, he did that before you started following him. He did those things so that you can follow him and experience life as it was meant to be under the leadership, the lordship, the loving provision and care of your creator. Jesus did that for you. And so we made the statement really to sum up last week that following Jesus, and this is an important statement, following Jesus supersedes all prior identities. Everything that you have thought characterized yourself, when you follow Jesus, you you pick something that's bigger than all those things. Following Jesus supersedes all prior, prior identities. Why? Because he offers truer purpose and deeper relationship than anything else. 
And really, purpose and relationship are kind of the, the, the mixture that forms our identity, who we think we are, what we think life is really about, why we think we exist, what gets us up in the morning, what motivates us in difficult seasons. Our identity is rooted in our relationships. We see ourselves in light of the people we are closest to and then our purpose. We are see ourselves in light of what we believe we are here to do in this world and in this life. And Jesus offers us deeper relationship and truer purpose than any other option. Now, the relationship is meant to be day-to-day, and a lot of times in church, we, we talk about that relationship, we enjoy that relationship, that relationship is meant to be the foundation for everything else that we do. You're not meant to do anything else outside of relationship with Jesus. It's kind of weird to think about, and most of us, that's a lifetime journey to learn to live in relationship with Jesus every day, but there's also purpose involved. And there's a particular statement that Jesus makes that I think really sums up both our identity and our purpose. In fact, you could call this the great identity statement of Christianity. You could also call it the great purpose statement of Christianity because it has elements of both. It's one of two, it's one of two famous statements of Jesus that Christians for thousands of years, much smarter than myself, have said this really sums up a lot of what Jesus has taught us. The first of those is the great, the great commandment where God says, hey, if you wanna do life well, you gotta love God above everything else that you love in this world. And secondly, you need to love people as good or better than yourself. Now, if anybody has that down, well done. But for most of us, we need Jesus to apprentice us. Teach us your ways, right? So that is, the, that is one of the identity statements, but there was another great statement. That first one was called the great commandment, and the second one is called the great commission. And I wanna read it for you today out of Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. These are kinda, this is kind of the primary statement that the resurrected Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended to be with his Father in heaven. And he said, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. If we're supposed to follow a leader, Jesus says, I'm the leader. I have authority in heaven and on earth. We're supposed to follow the leader. Verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now that is an amazing statement. It is a statement of both identity for any of us that want to be a Jesus follower, a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus. And it's also a great purpose statement for any of us that want to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple an apprentice. I want to talk about some of the identity pieces first, but really what Jesus gave here is he is he was he they, his disciples watched him live, they watched him die, they saw him resurrected from the dead and they were about to watch him return to the Father in a cloud. We read about that in the beginning of the book of Acts. Crazy thing to witness. And so Jesus is preparing them. Hey, you need to remember who you are when I'm gone. If you don't remember anything else, because it's going to take you a while to remember everything, remember this. Remember who you are and what you're supposed to do. And so in these couple of verses, he gives us the basics of being a Jesus follower 
And I wanna look at the identity pieces first. When he says make disciples, what is he telling us to make? He gives us three things that a disciple is. First, you have to identify as one of God's family. If you're going to be, we're in a culture that, that we like to say, hey, I identify as this, I identify as that, and, and you, can identi- you, can, you can basically pick whatever you want and say, I identify you know, as this, I identify as this table today, because I'm just feeling a little standing still and, and dark, and you know, I identify as that. We can pick whatever we want to identify us. Now, most of us pick the things that give us the greatest sense of relational intimacy or the greatest sense of purpose. So we generally identify by people in our lives or a career choice or a path of something like that. Those are the most common human identities. But if we're gonna be a follower of Jesus, it starts, if we're gonna be a disciple, it starts with us identifying as one of God's family, which is why Jesus says when you make a disciple, the first thing that you do is you baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism is this amazing, beautiful symbol that we so often miss out on in Christianity. It was one of the two things that Jesus ordained for every church that was going to call him Lord to do. Jesus said, people should be baptized after they turned at me. The next step is get baptized. If you're a Jesus follower and you haven't gotten baptized, you need to get baptized. If you're like, I don't like to get wet, take it up with Jesus. If you're like, I don't like to get wet in front of people. Take it up with Jesus. But I can tell you why he wants you to get wet in front of people. I can tell you the significance of the symbol of baptism and the reason that he says when you make a disciple, baptize them and don't just dunk them in water and be like, you're good. You're wet in front of people. He says, get wet in front of people in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, when you do something in the name of someone else, you are identifying with them, right? But the the symbol of baptism is powerful in both directions. Now, if you've watched people get baptized, it's wonderfully awkward. It's even more awkward if you're in the tank baptizing people because most of us don't do this regularly, right? But there's two things that you have to do to baptize people. You have to get them under the water and you have to get them out of the water, Both pieces are important. If they don't go under the water, they weren't baptized. If they don't come out, other problems. (laughs) And both were significant aspects. When you go under the water, it is meant from from when Jesus did it to when we did it last week and baptized 10 people right up there, which by the way, if you missed last week, you should go online and watch the testimonies and such beautiful stories of what Jesus is doing in our church family's lives. Oh, I love it. But when you go under the water, it symbolizes your old life that the Bible says was already dead in sin. You just hadn't finished dying yet. The, the going under the water symbolizes your old life being buried. It says buried with Christ, as real as Jesus was buried in a tomb for three days. When you go under that water, hopefully for only three seconds or less, that your old life is buried. It's a symbol of you leaving behind, of you surrendering, of you dying to who you were before Jesus and saying, that's as dead as Jesus was on the cross. I'm buried with Christ, but Jesus didn't stay dead. And you don't have to stay under the water, so you come out, and just as Jesus was resurrected, or Jesus was rebirthed into new life, we are birthed into a new life. So baptism, one dunk in the water, 
is both a burial and a birth at the same time. It's a burial of the old Caleb Bryant whose life was dead and decaying in my selfishness and pride and no matter how much I tried or how much I did, I kept dying more and spreading death wherever I went with my selfishness and pride. That should sound familiar. That gets buried and then I got born again. I got reborn. I was birthed into a new family, the family of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the family of a father who sent his firstborn son to give his life for me, the family of a son, a big brother, a Lord Jesus, a king and a master who gave his life for me, the family of the Holy Spirit who is in me and with me and wants to fill me up and never leave me or forsake me. That's a pretty darn good family to be a part of, isn't it? I'll sign up for that family. The family Caleb Bryant was in charge of was death and decay, but the word says the family of the spirit is everlasting life, is flourishing, is life abundant. We get, we die to that old life and we get born into a new life. Do you know what that sounds like? It sounds like adoption. I love to say that baptism is the adoption ceremony of us into the family of God. If you've ever been a part of an adoption, I've been a part of a couple of of adoptions where where a child literally over the course, through a legal process, through a process where the child was willing and different family members were willing and a parent was willing, that child signed up to have their name legally changed. That all the paperwork was changed, that their name was changed to the new family that they belonged to. And do you know, that is a significant moment when a child realizes they have a family that loves them and wants them. They have a mom or a dad or both that want them and are committed to them. And do you know, it's, it's a powerful thing for a parent to say, they took on my name. They wanna be a part of me. They want to call me as their parent, not just anybody. And so baptism is the adoption ceremony into the family of God. It's it's us saying, man, God wanted me so much that the cross happened, and I want him back. I'm going to sign my name on the document, on the adoption ceremony document. I'm going to leave behind the old life and be born again into a new family, a new identity. And so your number one identity as a follower of Jesus is I'm in God's family, I'm God's son, I'm God's daughter, I'm God's child, I'm God's, I belong to God. He is my father, he is my king, he is my family and I am his. And whether you are a boss or an employee or fired or divorced or married or whatever other identities the world would put on you, doesn't matter. Your number one identity, God wanted me so bad that he sent his perfect son to die on a cross to adopt me into his house. There is no greater identity than that. When you you become a disciple, that is who you are. And baptism is this significant moment where we say, God, I want you back. Everything belongs to you. My identity is in you. So that is the first piece of being a disciple. Isn't that exciting? I'm excited about it. Secondly, this is maybe the less exciting part for some of us, Jesus said, once you baptize them, once you have this new baby Christian, you have to teach them something. You have to teach them one of our favorite words. It's an important word for a follower. You have to teach them to obey. 
Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Obey all the commands I have given you. And the second aspect, the second basic piece of being a disciple is you have to obey Jesus' teaching. You are a follower. He is the leader. He has been given all authority. By the way, he created everything. And then when we screwed it up, he died for everything. And then through his own purity and power, the Father resurrected Jesus from the dead and he has all authority again. And so what he says goes. And if he says something's true, he probably knows better than you or I. We have to obey Jesus' teaching. If we are not identified primarily by the family of God and obeying the teaching of God, you might say you're a Christian, but you're not. You're not. You're playing around with religion, but you're not a Christian. You're not a disciple. A disciple means that you're having to change things on a regular basis because Jesus told you to. And your responses are limited to, yes, Lord, how, Lord, and help me, Lord. And for me, most days, I employ all three responses. Yes, Lord, how, help, change me. I only know how to live like the dead guy that got buried in baptism. I don't know how to do this. I'm, I'm a baby in this. Teach me to obey. Help me to obey. But one thing you can't do is ignore God's word. Jesus is teaching, in fact, there's a play on words here. Many scholars think that Matthew is specifically referring back to the verse that began the Sermon on the Mount, where it says that Jesus sat down and began to teach the crowds. So at the least, what Jesus wants of you is to obey everything that he said in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you can check all those boxes, well done. But do you know the Sermon on the Mount really is an interpretation of what all of scripture was trying to teach humanity in the first place. It's Jesus saying, this is what humanity was supposed to be like, and this is what I'm saving you to get back to. And as disciples of Jesus, baptized in his name, we are responsible to live according to his word. And so everything between the covers of, the, of Genesis 1 and the end of Revelation is the teaching of Jesus. It's made most clear in the person and the sermons of Jesus, but we are responsible to the word of God and allowing Jesus to transform how we think about our responsibilities, our problems, our relationships. Remember those categories of discipleship we talked about last week. When we allow Jesus' teaching to transform how we think about those things, that's how we live a new life in those things. We are new people, but we are still living in the old, broken, dying world, right? Right? And it's really hard when we're still in the same environment to not go back to the same old tendencies that the dead, dying version of us used in a dead, dying world. To do a new thing, to live the new life, we have to have a new way, the culture of a new kingdom. We have to be citizens of, the, of that new kingdom and learn to think that way. And through Jesus' words, we learn to recognize his voice. It's through the Bible that we learn to recognize the spirit of Jesus prompting us and speaking to us. It's through the Bible that we learn to pray and respond back to Jesus. It's through the Bible that we learn to look at life from God's perspective and so we don't look at things the way we used to look at them. The New Testament is full, especially of the Apostle Paul saying, don't look at things like you used to look at them. Stop thinking about things the same way you used to think about them. If you look at them the same way and think about them the same way, you're gonna act the same way as the dead version of yourself. 
And Jesus saved you from that. You have a new life. Jesus' spirit wants to help you live out that new life, but you have to be obedient to the word of God. And when you fail, because you will, because like any child, they're not perfect as they learn to walk in their, their parents' ways. There will be grace from him and there should be repentance from you. That's a healthy parent-child relationship when things are not working the way they should. So the basics of being a Jesus follower according to Jesus' great identity and purpose statement are that we have to identify as one of God's family. We have to obey Jesus' teaching. And then third, and this is a wonderful gift that Jesus has given us, to stand on his faithfulness. Jesus said these amazing words to his disciples. Be sure of this. Be sure of this. Don't ever forget this. Don't ever doubt this. Be sure of this, that I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you know when the age ends? When Jesus returns. When Jesus returns. I am with you always. You know what Jesus did after he went to the Father? We'll celebrate it here over these next few weeks. We are in the season of Pentecost. We're about a month out from, from the holiday of Pentecost. Pentecost celebrates when Jesus poured out his spirit so that his spirit could walk with every believer just like Jesus walked with the disciples in his lifetime. When you read the, the Gospels, my first reaction as a new Christian was like, oh man, Jesus, I want to walk with you like they walked with you. And Jesus is saying, you can. It'll look a little different. In fact, it won't look like anything because the Spirit's invisible, but the Spirit is real and speaking and leading and with you in ways that Jesus in his physical body could not be. But we can be sure that Jesus is with us. And what does that mean? That means that if Jesus is with you and he has all authority, what can overcome you? If you belong to Jesus, nothing can happen to you outside of the allowance of Jesus, which means two things. If something good happens to you, it's because God did it. In fact, that's true of any good thing in this broken world. It also means that if something bad happens to you, it doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus did it, but it means that he have, has allowed it and he will walk you through it. That is a hard thing. That is a hard, hard thing. And the only, the closest that I've come to understanding it is that as a father, I often have to withhold stepping in so that my children can grow. I have to choose when do I step in and help and use my superior strength or knowledge or whatever to, to correct a situation and when do I have to let them walk through and learn. But do you know what never changes if I'm a good father? Is that I'm there. Is that I'm committed to the end of the journey. Is that I'm not going to leave them and I'm going to make sure that I am there whispering truth in their ear as they process that difficult moment. I'm gonna make sure that no matter what happens, they know they're loved. I'm gonna make sure that no matter what happens, they know there's still hope on the other side of it. And that is what Jesus by his spirit does for us in difficult circumstances. So why did Jesus say this to his followers? Because he knew there would be times where we were saying, God, where are you? God, this hurts. God, I don't see you. God, it feels like we're losing right now. God, where are you? And we have to look back at the identity statement of Jesus here in the Great Commission and say, Jesus, you said you're still with me. I don't see you, I don't feel you, but I believe that you are there and that means there is hope for the other side. That means there is hope on the other end of the, the, these things because Jesus' love and power for you are unsurpassed. When you doubt it, remember that Jesus went to the cross for you. 
If you doubt his love, remember he went to the cross for you. If you doubt his power, remember he overcame death for you. His goodness is what keeps us going when we fail, which if you're honest will happen more often than you'd like to admit, right? When you fail and when the world fails you, Jesus will not fail you. And his resurrection reminds us that there is no amount of abuse or abandonment this world can throw at us that Jesus can't restore. The cross was all of the abuse and abandonment the world could throw at Jesus and the Father restored Jesus, which means he can restore you, right? Which means there is not a thing you will go through that you can't say, Jesus, I know you're with me and I know you'll restore me. And sometimes part of being a disciple, in fact, every time Jesus said part of being a disciple is not only that we identify as one of God's family, not only that we obey Jesus' teaching, but that we will have to stand on his faithfulness in difficult moments. We will have to. It's part of what makes being a disciple so rich. And Jesus looks forward to the reward that he has for us sometimes in this life, but most fully in eternity. Those are the identifying statements of being a disciple. That's what it means to be a disciple. When someone does that, you know they're a true disciple. When someone isn't doing those things, they're like, man, they don't identify primarily as one of God's family. Man, they, they don't obey Jesus' word. Oh, they don't stand on God's faithfulness when things are really good or really bad. Those are the two tests, right? If they don't do those things, I hope that they want to follow Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. And that's not usually for us to judge about other people. We have to be careful about that. We can be discerning about leaders. If you have leaders that aren't doing that, do not follow them. Don't follow them. If you hear me preaching something that I'm not doing in my life, don't follow me. Leave. Maybe, like, talk to me first before you leave. Be like, hey, Caleb, I don't know if you realize you're being a big hypocrite. You're being a big hypocrite. And if I'm like, you're a hypocrite, then leave. But... I just told everybody to leave the church. <laughs> Bad pastor. Okay, but seriously, that's the kind of leaders we should follow, and the, no, the number one person we should assess is ourselves. Am, is my primary perspective on myself that I'm one of God's family? Am I obeying Jesus' teaching, or am I picking and choosing what's convenient for me? Am I standing on God's faithfulness even when it's difficult for me? Those are the things that identify us. But there is one more piece. Those things all have to do with relationship with Jesus and that deeper relationship that Jesus has in mind for us. But Jesus also has purpose for us. Do you remember how he, st how he started that statement? He said, I have been given all authority, therefore go and make disciples. Now he wants you to be a disciple. He lived, he taught, he died, he rose so you could be a disciple. He didn't wait for you to be a disciple. He did it so you can be a disciple, so you can be his apprentice. But part of his apprenticeship is you have to go make more apprentices. You have to go show more people what I've shown you. And that's the fourth thing is that you have to make more apprentices. If you are not in some way, shape, or form making more apprentices of Jesus, oh, this is a hard one in the American church, I think. It's a hard one for me, but I want you to hear this. If you're not making apprentices of Jesus, you are not fulfilling your apprenticeship with Jesus. You're not being the follower that he called you to be. 
Now, apprenticeship can look like a lot of different things, but the the basic version of it is that you should have other people following you as you follow Jesus. The simple version should be, are there people that are following my example specifically in how I'm following Jesus? The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. I love that statement. That is a great disciple-making statement. Do you know why? Because Paul's not pretending he is Christ. He's like, don't follow, don't, don't be an apprentice to be an apostle. Paul, use my example to help you be an apprentice of Jesus. And do you know that all of us are supposed to do that? You are, you are placed in your place of work to apprentice someone there. You are in your family to apprentice someone there. You are in your home to apprentice someone there. You are in your neighborhood to apprentice someone there. You go to the same grocery store week after week after week to apprentice someone there. Right? You spend an abhorrent amount of money in the same drive through coffee shop <laughs> to apprentice someone there. It's like a double conviction. Love it. Right? Everywhere you go, your number one purpose is to say, Jesus, do you have an apprentice for me here? I mean, do you have one of your apprentices that you want me to apprentice? And here's the thing, that in our culture, we can barely have like friendships in real life. We're like, can you just text me? I don't even, I don't even know if I can handle a phone call right now. Right, so relationships are hard for us, but can I tell you the beautiful thing about apprenticeship is if you're doing the first three parts of being a disciple, apprenticeship is not hard. If your primary identity is in Jesus, if you're obeying the teachings of Jesus, and if you are standing on his faithfulness in difficult times, and you're inviting someone else to just follow Jesus as, as you're following Jesus, apprenticeship is easy. Because the greatest apprenticeships are when people just see a real version of a Christ follower in you. The problem is, and and this is a problem I struggled with as an early Christian, I couldn't find any Christians in the church who looked like what I read about in the New Testament. I couldn't find them. I saw people that went to church. I saw people that sang songs. I saw people that took notes and sermons, but I did not see people that were raising their kids to know Jesus. More importantly than getting their kids in all the other programs, academically, athletically, and all the other things. I I didn't, as a youth pastor, I didn't know parents, very many of them, that their number one priority for their kids was that their kid knew what Jesus looked like. If that's you, don't go to church. Don't waste your time. And, you know, I didn't meet a whole lot of Christians that, that really cared about their coworkers coming to know Jesus. I didn't meet a lot of Christians that, that when they went into a restaurant wondered if they were supposed to represent Jesus to someone there somehow. Guys, here's the deal. If this is all about you, you don't know Jesus. You don't know him. Because Jesus said, I'm gonna make it so not about me to save you from making it all about you so that you can make it about somebody else. And that is what being a disciple is. Is that we stop being all about ourselves and we decide to be first all about Jesus. Which then he says, welcome home son, daughter. Let me point you back towards some other people that don't know me yet. I want you to help them follow me. 
And we see in the New Testament all sorts of examples of how to open the door. Here's the thing. Apprenticeship is about them doing life with you. That means that you have to open your calendar. You have to open your home. You have to open your checkbook because usually meals cost money, things like that. You have to open your life to people and say, come follow me as I follow Jesus. And some parts of our lives are embarrassing, right? Like sometimes that means your house isn't in pristine condition when you invite someone over for dinner. Now you could like try a little bit, but if you're coming to my house, it's probably not in pristine condition. It's all my children's fault, I promise. Okay, maybe not. Uh, But you know, you're gonna have to, Give away some time that you want to keep to yourself. You're going to have to hold off on that Netflix binge that you've been waiting for and really need in your life. That was sarcasm. Okay, you're going to have to change some of those things in order to care more about other people, which because we are good old, uh, you know, Americans in our generation, that's hard for us. We're like, that's my stuff. And Jesus said, didn't you get dunked underwater? Weren't you supposed to die to that old self? And didn't you want to live the new way? So how do we make apprentices? I love in the New Testament some of the different examples because every personality is different. Every personality is a little different. I am amazed sometimes at watching my wife in settings where, where nobody knows Jesus, how she can walk in and she just, it's like she slips past the defenses and she's like, hi, I'm Jeanette. I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Do you want to pray right now? Some of you, she's done that to you. You're like, how does she do that? I don't know. She's more of like that, she, that like frontal assault evangelist. I'm more of like the sneaky stealth bomber, you know? I'm like, I'm going to go for the long, the long, you know, the long game here, right? And I don't think it matters on your approach. I think what matters is what is the end goal you're shooting for? What's the end goal you're working for? Is it their salvation? Is that they would flourish through knowing Jesus? That's the end goal. And we all have different personalities and paths to do that in. I love in the New Testament, even some of the different apostles' personalities. We see in Andrew. Andrew, his claim to fame is that he invited Peter. Like you really don't see Andrew do anything great like the rest of the New Testament. You're like, Andrew, where were you? Now church history tells us he did some pretty amazing things. But do you know what Andrew's claim to fame was? Hey, Jesus is awesome. Come see. Come, come with me. Come see Jesus. And do you know that is a great, if you're new to following Jesus, that's a, great, that's a great way. Hey, come to the Alpha course with me. That is a great way, by the way. If you don't know what else to do, invite someone to come investigate faith in the Alpha course. Come to my growth group. There's some weird people there, but they know Jesus and they'll love you. Right? So, some growth groups, right? Like, let's just call it how it is. Some of mine, no, I'm just kidding. Well, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, come to my church. Come, come check it out. Come try, come, come I don't know, I, don't, I can't explain it, but Jesus is changing my life. Come check it out. That was Andrew's claim to fame. And look at what happened in Peter's life as a result. Right, what about Peter? I love Peter, right after he's filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter three, he's walking, to, he's on his way to church. Like, on his way to do something spiritual. Number one time not to change your calendar. And he sees a guy on the side of the road that's begging for money, and what does he do? He stops, and he says, I don't have any money, but I can pray for you. Arise and walk in Jesus' name. 
Now, not every time do you pray is it quite that awesome, but every time you pray, it does something. Every time you pray, Jesus does something. He plants a seed. He might do the miracle right there. He might do it later. You don't know, but the point is, have you ever, when you see brokenness in the world around you, do you stop and say, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? It seems like, do you mind if I pray for you? If they say no, just say, okay, and then go away and pray for them anyways, you rebel. But a lot of times people in a, in a difficult moment will say, uh, sure, I'm not really religious or whatever, but you can pray for me. Be that guy, that girl at work that they're like, oh, yeah, they offer to pray because you know what happens? You know what I found in my jobs that weren't in churches? Is that often the first couple times I asked, but then later as time went on, they would come and ask me. Because people come to, God brings people to moments where they realize they need him. What about the Apostle Paul? I mean, Paul was the ultimate, I am going to share the, the good news of Jesus with you, right? He said, I become all things to all people so that I can save some of them, which means you need to be ready. He told Timothy, be ready to preach the gospel in season and out, out of season. Do you know what that means? That means when it's a good time and when it's a bad time, be ready to share the gospel, that means that you should be looking for every opportunity to say, do you know what I've found in my life? That Jesus' life and his death and resurrection have changed my life. Hey, I don't know, I, don't know I, I know there's some things going on with you. I don't know if this is the right time. I don't know if you want to hear it. By the way, be respectful. We'll talk about that in a second. But you can say, say the gospel. God came and lived a human life and he died on the cross for you and he rose from the dead because he loves you. And let, let, let people wrestle with that. Don't yell it. I only yell in church, by the way. Sometimes in my backyard when yard work isn't going well. But, you know, the, share the good news of Jesus. And then the thing that has to cover it all is the John method. Do you know the John strategy? John is like the guy I always wanted to be. He's the guy that just like everybody liked to be around. He's the guy that was just, he was kind to everyone good relationships. You wrote 1 John to say, you guys all need to just love each other better. Like, love people better. And here's the thing. If you're not gonna love people well, don't do the other things. Like, just stop and go back to the obey Jesus' teaching part for a while and then do the other things, right? Love people well. Love, that, means, that means that you help them when you have an opportunity to help them. That means that you are generous with them. That means you're, you, you invite them to sit at your table. You invite them to ride in your car. You invite them. You know, you want to love people well. You're kind and respectful. We have an epidemic of, of human dishonor in our society. We just, we just dishonor people so easily. Just shame people and tear people down. Can we just practice honoring and loving people? As if they're Jesus, that's, by the way, what the Bible tells us to do, right? We want to honor people and love people well. Here's, here's the thing, though. All of those strategies, inviting someone along, praying for people, sharing the good news, loving people, that's not discipleship. That's evangelism. That's outreach. That opens the door for you to make an apprentice. And if someone steps through that door, when someone says, man, I don't know how, but God answered your prayer. Yeah, I'll come to the Alpha course with you. Or, or wait, you believe that about Jesus? Tell me more. He lived and died and what? Rose from the dead? When, the, when you open the door and when someone opens the door, come on, 
follow me. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm trying to follow Jesus. Do you know that's what I'm doing every week is I'm, I don't have it all figured out, but as I learn things to follow Jesus, I'm trying to share with you how to follow Jesus. That's how we make apprentices. And, and the reason I bring this to you today is because as we are serious about being disciples, and I hope that you're serious about being a disciple, I hope that you're serious about that. That's, that's why we do growth groups and classes and, and all these other things. It's why we preach the word. It's why we do everything we do as a church, to be disciples. But part of being a disciple is making disciples. You cannot separate the two. You can't say, oh, that's what pastors do. It's not. Pastors equip the church to make disciples while making them ourselves, right? So we have significant identity and purpose in Jesus, but we have to remember that picture of baptism. We have to stop living that old life and we have to say, Jesus, teach me how to live that new kind of life. So would you bow your heads with me in all of our venues and here in the room today? And let's prepare to respond to Jesus in this moment. Don't think about anything else or do anything else, but respond to Jesus in this moment. Recognize that outside of some crazy guy yelling at you about what it means to be a disciple, that Jesus, by his spirit, is here with us, saying, hey, I have apprenticeships available. I'm inviting you to follow me. I'm inviting you to take on the family name and be baptized into my family. I'm inviting you to obey my teaching and, and discover a new culture of a new kingdom. I'm inviting you to stand on my faithfulness to you when you are not enough, when the world is not enough, when things are failing, you trust in my unfailing love. And I'm inviting you to the greatest mission the world has ever known, to make apprentices of Jesus so that they can flourish in eternity through knowing me. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would Send your spirit to us this morning. That you would convict us first of your love, of the incredible love of the cross displayed for us. Then would you convict us, Lord, of the incredible justice of the cross that our sin had to be put to death one way or another. And would you convict us of the beautiful reward that you demonstrated at the resurrection and that you have invited each of us into. Father, would you move in us and make Sound Life Church, every one of us, in every generation, in every venue and community, would you make every one of us, Lord, make us your disciples and help us to follow you and do the same in all the places you've sent us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You know, this morning, we sang a song at the end of worship that we're gonna sing at least part of again, and it said, I'm not enough unless you come. Do you know that Jesus gave them this commission, and then we see in the book of Acts that he said, there's one more thing, though. You need to wait until you have received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to fill you up. And there's this beautiful journey that we see in Acts of the Holy Spirit filling believers. They heard the Great Commission, 
And Jesus said, you're not gonna be able to do it well on your own. And, and if you're like me, that's a little refreshing because you probably already know you can't do it on your own. But Jesus, his spirit is with you. Remember he said, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be with you. You're never gonna have to wonder if I'm with you. But he also said to his disciples, I, I'm with you, but I wanna be in you. I wanna overflow out of you. I want rivers of living water to overflow out of you. And so can we just invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us today? Would you stand with me this morning? And you know, some in the room get excited because you've experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to ask him now. I want you just, and this is what I often do as a posture, because posture is important. I put my hands out in front of me, ready to receive. And I say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me up? Would you help me to be a disciple and make a disciple? Holy Spirit, come right now. And I want you to take this moment, invite the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit. Begin to pray your own prayers, even before they sing over you. Begin to pray in your own words. Holy Spirit, will you help me? Help me be a disciple. Help me be faithful to you. Help me to walk in that identity that, that I was baptized into. Help me, Lord, to obey your teaching. Help me to stand on your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, come and help me to be that kind of a disciple. And Holy Spirit, help me to make disciples. I don't know how to, how to initiate the conversation. I don't know how to disciple my family, my friends, my coworkers. Holy Spirit, fill me with your power. Fill me with your power. And let's wait on him. Jesus said, wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Holy Spirit to come. And as they sing this song over us, let's wait on the Holy Spirit and just continue to pray with me. Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come as we sing this together?
first three identity things, we won't really be able to do the other thing, not very well. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us be disciples, to make disciples. And we have to make disciples to be a disciple, right? It goes hand in hand. But here's, here's the thing. Here's, you know, many people want, want God to revive someone else. Have you ever, God, it'd be great if everyone else was more passionate about you. It'd be great if everybody else grew and stopped staying at status quo. It'd be great if other people got saved and their lives got changed. Do you know that Jesus is saying, will you let me use you? Will you let me make you such a beautiful picture of discipleship that I can use you to make more disciples? And if you're a Sound Life Church or if you're regular with us, if you're not a regular, if you're new, you're off the hook on this one for a little while. But if you're a regular Sound Life church, church, can I just tell you what I'm telling myself? Caleb, stop making excuses for why God's not doing more in your life and start seeking him. Stop making excuses for why you're not winning those people in your life to the Lord and start seeking God more. Stop making excuses for why you don't look like a New Testament believer and start seeking God more. And do you know what, I, that here's the painful, this is discipleship, Jesus is always like, and to do that, you're gonna have to change some priorities. You're gonna have to change how you prioritize people. You're gonna have to change how you prioritize some of your pursuits and desires. You have to change how you prioritize some of your guilt and your shame. You're gonna have to let some of that be buried like it should have been already. And let me show you, and here's the promise, and I have something way better for you. Jesus always has something way better for you. He will never cost you something that he can't reward you more for. He never does. He'll cost you something, but not more than he can reward you. And so Sound Life Church, let's be disciples. Let's be unashamed disciples of Jesus that look like Jesus, that walk in the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, 
Jesus. And let's invite other people to follow him with us. As you go out today, you go out into a world of potential disciples, a world of people that Jesus has said, apprenticeship is available. I want to apprentice you. I want to show you how to live this life the way I created you to. So Sound Life Church, go make disciples. Be disciples and make disciples. And Father, I pray that as we go, you would go with us. You would show yourself faithful. Your spirit would lead us and go before us. Father, I pray that you would answer prayers that we pray over lost people in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would show yourself faithful in our difficult moments. I pray that you would teach us to obey you and help us to walk in the identity we have in you. But Father, anoint us by your spirit to imitate you and invite others to imitate you as well. Help us to be your church. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 Sound like church. Go be disciples. Make disciples and know that we love you and we'll see you next week.